evening and welcome to South Sudan in Focus on the Voice of America. I'm John Tanza on this live broadcast from Washington. Here are some of the top stories making news across Sudan and South Sudan this Thursday, February 22nd, 2024. President Salva Kiir arrived in the Rwandan capital, Kigali, on Thursday for meetings. And the UN says Sudan's conflict has impacted aid delivery to families trapped inside the country. We'll have these stories and more coming up on South Sudan in Focus. The president of South Sudan and the chairperson of the East African community, Salva Kirin Mayardid arrived in Rwanda on Thursday for a working visit. The Rwandan New Times newspaper reports that President Kir arrived in Kigali accompanied by the East African Community Secretary General Peter Matuki. The New Times reports that the EAC chairperson's working visit to Kigali comes amid heightened concern about the continuous tension in Eastern Democratic Republic of Congo where M23 rebels are battling a Congolese government coalition. African Union Commission chairperson Ambassador Musa Faki Muhammad expressed his concern among others and reiterated his call for de-escalation of the conflict in the Democratic Republic of Congo. The UN Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs in Sudan and the World Health Organization report that efforts to deliver life-saving health assistance to civilians across Sudan continue despite active conflict and other obstacles. The UN says during the month of January, seven humanitarian partners provided medical consultations to more than 180,000 people in 12 states in Sudan. They also delivered medicine to some 115,000 people in eight states and supported 16 mobile clinics, including in Darfur and Kordofan. The humanitarian coordinator in Sudan, Clementine Mkweta Salomi, stressed that the unimpeded and rapid passage of aid, personnel, medicine and other supplies must be ensured to support 25 million people in need of humanitarian assistance in Sudan. In her social media thread, Salami said principled and coordinated humanitarian action is dependent on speaking with all parties to the conflict to ensure access to civilians wherever they are. She says dialogue is neither endorsement nor collaboration. Humanitarian action is neutral, impartial and independent. End of quote. Senior U.S. officials say President Joe Biden's administration remains strongly committed to promoting peace and stability in Eastern Democratic Republic of Congo, Ethiopia, Somalia, and Sudan. In a news briefing, the official also spoke about recent African Union summit in Addis Ababa from the Kenyan capital Nairobi, Ruben Chama reports. Molly Fee, the United States Assistant Secretary of State for African Affairs, says President Joe Biden's administration has been actively engaged in preventing conflict between the Democratic Republic of Congo and Rwanda. As a result of that engagement, there have been intense, regular conversations between senior U.S. government officials and senior officials of the governments in Kigali and Kinshasa 
including President Shisekedi and President Kagame. DRC President Felix Shisekedi has accused Rwandan President Paul Kagame of backing the M23 militia in its fight against the DRC military in the country's eastern provinces. Rwanda's government denies supporting the M23, one of the largest of the scores of rebel groups in the eastern DRC. During an online news briefing today, Fee also spoke about our efforts at the just-concluded African Union summit in Addis Ababa. She met with the presidents of Angola, DRC, Kenya and Zambia. As we tried to de-escalate the conflict between the DRC and Rwanda, I had the opportunity to meet with Presidents Chishikedi, President Lorenzo and President Ruto and President Hichilema in an effort to defuse the situation. Michael Hama is the U.S. Special Envoy for the Horn of Africa. He says Washington remains concerned about the situation in conflicts in Sudan, Ethiopia, and Somalia. I think that it goes without question that the United States is focused on trying to alleviate the suffering that we've seen throughout the Horn. We are prepared to remain very much engaged, not only to end the conflicts, but also to help Africans in the Horn of Africa build a better future for themselves. He gave more details about the deliberations at the African Union summit aimed at strengthening U.S.-Africa relations. He said it's important that Washington isn't acting alone. And uh, we do it with our African partners. The visit uh, to the African Union summit was an opportunity for all of us to engage on these issues. Uh, to think together on how we can partner and how we can be most effective in trying to, again, bring peace and stability to the region. At the summit, tensions between Somalia and Ethiopia escalated following allegations by Somalia's president that Ethiopian security forces tried to bar him from attending the continental gathering of African leaders. The U.S. diplomats told journalists that Washington is committed to deepening the long-term U.S.-Africa partnership. Some foreign policy analysts have noted that Biden's new push to engage with African nations comes as China and Russia continue to expand their presence on the continent. Ruben Chama, VOA News, Nairobi. South Africa votes on May 29 in what is likely to be the most significant election since the African National Congress. The ANC took power in 1994 after decades of apartheid. Since then, however, the ANC's popularity has fallen dramatically, opening door for opposition parties to make their most sustained push yet to force former liberation movement out of government. Darren Taylor reports from Johannesburg. Initially, the African National Congress seemed set to launch South Africa into progress and prosperity. It built thousands of homes for the poor and launched successful jobs and crime-fighting programs, among other achievements. But in the past 20 years, service delivery has declined remarkably, with long electricity and water outages now common. Infrastructure has deteriorated, including roads, harbours and railways, and many blame the problems on ANC corruption and poor management. 
Today, South Africa has the highest real unemployment rate of just over 41% and some of the highest rates of poverty and violent crime globally. Leading into the election, some polls have the ANC's share of the vote as low as 40%, a stark contrast to its 63% landslide victory under Nelson Mandela 30 years ago. Still, President Cyril Ramaphosa, who leads the ANC, said at a meeting in Johannesburg recently, talk of his party's demise is premature. The ANC is going to achieve an outright majority, so be relaxed. We are not working to be in coalition, but if we have to choose a coalition partner, we will choose the ANC to be our coalition partner. Some political analysts say the party's failures mean it's unlikely to get the votes it needs to govern on its own. They say the ANC may have to partner with a group of smaller parties or with South Africa's third largest party, the Economic Freedom Fighters, the EFF. The EFF wants the state to own all forms of wealth, including land, banks and mines. But it too is tainted by allegations of corruption and its supporters have often been violent. EFF leader Julius Malema's election war cry is that the ANC is in cahoots with white capitalists. He told journalists recently if he gets to govern, he'll redistribute the nation's wealth to the poor. That years since the attainment of political freedom, 80% of the population continues to occupy less than 10% of South Africa's land. More than 15 million capable South Africans who need jobs are unemployed. Our people live in absolute poverty. The EFF government will expropriate all land without compensation for equal redistribution in use, create millions of jobs through reindustrialization using the state. This and many other commitments are what will change the lives of our people and deliver economic freedom in our lifetime. But economists say the EFF's policies are unrealistic and would cause economic meltdown. They say seizure of private property and resources would ignite massive capital and investment outflows, resulting in more hardship than ever. South Africa's main opposition party, the Democratic Alliance, the DA, has urged citizens to vote to stop the potential ANC-EFF alliance, something it calls the Doomsday Coalition. Polls show the DA alone cannot eject the ANC from government, but that a coalition headed by party leader John Stiernesen does have a slim chance of victory. We are absolutely committed to bringing to an end the 30 years of anti-failure, corruption and state capture. And I think the upcoming election is now an opportunity for the most important people in a democracy, and that is for voters, to choose a path of progress, transparency and accountability. So we say bring it on. We're looking forward to... However, many analysts expect the ANC to hold on to government, but with its power to set policy direction and to make appointments to cabinet and other high-level positions severely eroded. 
For VOA News, I'm Darren Taylor in Johannesburg. Still on South Africa, the polls comes as Africa's most developed economy faces many problems under the ruling African National Congress Party. Polls show the ruling ANC could lose its majority for the first time since it came to power 30 years ago. Pamlani Majosi is an author and a microeconomic and political analyst. He tells VOA's Douglas Mpugwa that this election is crucial given the dare state of the country. Oh, it's very important, very, very crucial. In fact, some people, they describe it as an hour 1994 because of how crucial, how important it is given the dark state of the country and given the fact that much of the governance that we have seen over the past decade has been, you know, terrible, right? It's been very, it's been, it's been very bad governance. Unemployment rates have skyrocketed. Economic growth has really has never reached even 2% over the past 15 years now. Uh, the problems of crime, even the murder rate has skyrocketed over the past 10 years. So there are many problems. The issues of blackouts, power outages, electricity problems that have negatively impacted the economy. Our economy has been, has been constrained and suppressed by the blackouts. And we have seen many small businesses being shut down because of the blackouts problems. So it's a very important election for, for South Africans. It's an opportunity. South Africans have a chance to reshape their country. And it looks like there is that appetite to reshape the country, given how the ruling party, the African National Congress, that has ruled since 1994, is polling at the moment. The polls, they are showing the ruling party doing very badly. ANC, as you say, came into power almost 30 years ago, and some analysts are saying this time it has serious competition. Are those problems the cause of this serious competition? Yes, the party is facing some serious competition now, because we have seen the opposition parties really coming up as a strong force which has been uh, significant. And also what we have seen is that because of the mismanagement of the country by the ruling party, that has really weakened it. The blackouts over the past year made things much, much worse for the ruling party and people just lost the total faith. Uh, many people no longer believe the ANC that has ruled since 1994 is the party now to take the country forward. So uh, competition is real. And it does seem that the projections are showing that really the African National Congress will hit below uh, 50% in terms of the vote. And then we are going to see a coalition government, which should be a significant change for South Africa post-apartheid. So the the competition is real. And then that is what has put the ANC under pressure. And now there is breakaway within the ANC. It's split now. So that will negatively impact it uh, at the polls this year. ANC, despite all that, remains popular across the continent and internationally. Will, do you think if they lost power, would South Africa's foreign policy change? Oh, you see, my argument has been that if we want to see changes in policy, uh, whether it's foreign policy or domestic policy, if we want to see a new direction, the ANC will need to govern with inequality. And... I think that's what should really bring that significant change would be a coalition between the African National Congress and the biggest opposition party, the Democratic Alliance. Because the Democratic Alliance is more of a right-center party 
the ANC is more left center. And for them to come together and hold one another to account, that would be positive for markets and for South Africa's reputation as well. And it would mean change because the DA of the, the biggest opposition party, the Democratic Alliance, it sees foreign policy different than the ANC. And it's come out as very much different from how it approaches international affairs and how it aims to also approach domestic affairs as well. That's uh, Pomlani Majosi, uh, an author and a microeconomic and political analyst. He spoke with my colleague Douglas Mpugwa from Johannesburg. You are listening to South Sudan in Focus from The Voice of America. Coming up, Kenya's government says it is committed to building its economy. Find out why after the break. Hello, listener of South Sudan in Focus. We have an exciting new segment dubbed Words of Wisdom. We want to hear your thoughtful proverbs that echo through your community. This is another chance for you to share wisdom from your roots. All you need to do is record a proverb in a language of your choice, tell us its English translation and what it means. Keep it brief, authentic, and represent your community. Your recorded proverb shall be sampled on South Sudan in Focus every Wednesday. Send your recording via our WhatsApp number, plus one, two zero two six three zero eight zero one one. That is plus one, two zero two six three zero eight zero one one. You're listening to South Sudan in Focus from the Voice of America. Kenya has pledged to build its economy by increasing revenue collection, reducing government spending, and ensuring the country is able to repay its debt and live within its means. The government announcement comes days after the Africa Development Bank in its outlook report for 2024 warned Kenya among four African countries that it will face social unrest due to rising commodity prices. Muhammad Yusuf reports from Nairobi. In a report looking at the economic prospects of African countries, the African Development Bank says many nations continue to grapple with higher commodity prices. The bank cites weak domestic currencies and slow economic activities in countries that import more than they export. The financial institution warns that the high cost of essential foods items in some African countries like Angola, Ethiopia, Kenya and Nigeria will likely cause civil unrest. Speaking to journalists Wednesday, Kenyan President William Ruto said his government has done just enough to reduce the economic burden on Kenyans. The strategy we have put in place uh, uh, over the last one year has seen the cost of living come down, whether you talk about the cost of food, whether you talk about inflation, and what we have done with the management of the debt situation in the country. Ruto blamed the previous government for burdening the country with foreign debt and failing to collect enough revenue to balance the country's accounts. The government removed fuel subsidies, which were meant to cushion Kenyans from the high prices of food as part of its economic reform agenda. That reform, the African Development Bank says, could cause unrest. 
According to FDB Research, 19 African countries recorded double-digit inflation rates last year. Earlier this month, the Central Bank of Kenya's Monetary Policy Committee warned citizens to brace for higher food prices due to soaring inflations and expensive imports because of the depreciation of the local currency. Kenya has also witnessed protests over high food prices, but people continue to express their displeasure with the country's economic status in public gatherings and on social media networks. Samuel Nyandemo, economics lecturer at the University of Nairobi, says some Kenyans are losing patience with Ruto's 18-month-old government. Kenyans, uh, their patience is eroding. Unless some, uh, some of these issues are uh, addressed with urgency, there will be some animosity, whether you like it or not. You can even see from political meetings, people are now so courageous, they are even shouting at the president. What does that show you? It shows you that the people are getting disgusted. We better start addressing key issues first. First things must be done first. And the first things is reducing the cost of living. Kenya's government says it has managed to lower food prices and the economy is improving despite spending much of its revenue repaying loans. Ruta says Kenya needs to reduce its reliance on food imports to strengthen the currency and reduce food prices. The 500 billion Kenya shillings we spend every year to import food into Kenya will only go down the day we produce that food in Kenya. That is the step we are making, and we have made a commitment as a government that we want to reduce imports by 50% in the next five years. Nyandemo, the economist, says the Kenyan shilling's loss of value against the dollar and other currencies will impact the country's food prices and economy. All macroeconomic valuables are thrown red rights. Uh, we should not be uh, fooled that the shilling is going to stabilize and solely. A ceiling cannot destabilize because of some mischievousness through the euro bond. Uh, I think it is a thought phenomena. And as long as the ceiling is not going to be stable, as long as the interest rates are going to be very high, businessmen are not going to be able to, assault, uh, to source for loans to, for investments. In any case, you can see from the Kenya Revenue Authority, the revenue being corrected is not in line with the targets. Africa's economic growth is expected to grow at 3.2%. The African Development Bank urges African countries to build resilience in a world of rising uncertainty and geopolitical competition. Mohamed Yusuf, VOA News, Nairobi. From Nairobi, we move to Ukraine, where war introduced... New elements into Ukrainian children's lives, such as bomb shelters in kindergartens and schools, mind safety lessons and first aid training. From Kiev, Lysia Bakalets looks at how the war is affecting the country's youngest citizens. New life lessons for some of Ukraine's youngest students. A kindergarten teacher says, look, here is an abandoned house and it can be dangerous. Why? A kid answers, because there may be a grenade. 
These students in the city of Irpin are just three or four years old, and every week they have special safety classes. Svetlana Kravets, their preschool teacher, says that she tells the children that if they see any object lying on the ground, they should not pick it up under any circumstances, even if it is a toy or candy, because it could be mined. The Russian army occupied Irpin in early March 2022, shortly after it launched its full-scale invasion of Ukraine. When troops left the city, they planted mines. Now Ukrainian students of all ages get lessons in the wartime dangers they face every day. Kravets says it's very difficult to tell kids about the stuff, but she knows she must. The school has different games, books and riddles about mines, grenades and explosions. UNICEF provides safety education materials for preschool and kindergarten children across the country. They use Ukrainian environments to show the children where such objects may be and what they need to do and the phone numbers they need to call uh, should they come across some of these explosive objects as well. Some 30% of this country currently has, you know, is contaminated by mines. Children need to be aware of this. Students at this school in Kyiv are taught first aid and the number to call if they see a suspicious object. 12-year-old student Andriy Kanavo, who had fled his home in now-occupied Melitopol, explains how he understands war. He says it's when one country wants to take the territory of another country. They bump and drive there on artillery vehicles of all kinds. Teacher Lyudmila Gavrilyuk says the children are growing up prematurely and need more attention and care. She says she sees when children are silent or sad, and the staff's role is to be nearby. But they also need to adapt the educational program constantly to the current war circumstances. Damian Rans of UNICEF says that of the 7 million children in Ukraine, about 40% still do not have direct access to in-person learning, and that about 1.5 million have mental health issues that require professional intervention. Леся Бакалец, Вивей Ньюс, Київ. Hello, listener of South Sudan in Focus. We have an exciting new segment dubbed Words of Wisdom. We want to hear your thoughtful proverbs that echo through your community. This is another chance for you to share wisdom from your roots. All you need to do is record a proverb in a language of your choice, tell us its English translation and what it means. Keep it brief, authentic and represent your community. Your recorded proverb shall be sound on South Sudan in Focus every Wednesday. Send your recording via our WhatsApp number plus one two zero two six three zero eight zero one one. That is plus one two zero two six three zero eight zero one one. That's all we prepared for you this Wednesday, this Thursday, rather, February 22nd, 2024. We now leave you with Emi Yore and the song Mara Tabet.
Listening to Emmy Yore and the song Mara Tabet. I'm your host, John Tanza, on this live broadcast from Studio 14 here in Washington. On behalf of our producer, Kwame Ofori, and engineer Bill Bass, we wish you a lovely evening. Remember to join us again tomorrow for another edition of South Sudan in Focus from the Voice of America.